Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner Podcast followers and devotees, the great Matt Geib, gladly and happily and rejoicing with you today as we open another episode of the Kingdom Corner podcast, as we open the pages again of Philippians, such a wonderful, small yet powerful book. Last week we talked a lot about rejoicing, and I just wanted to take, and I just, I had some different thoughts for you today. We're in chapter three, um, kind of Uh, toward verse 8, and we're going to go through verse 12, I believe. But I had some thoughts for you about Philippians as I've thought about this wonderful book. There's so many truths in here that um, and themes that the Apostle Paul, when we think of him, are found right in here that he's really well known for. And they're found right in, uh, especially in chapter 3. But I want to give you a rundown as we go on here that um, I don't know, I think we've mentioned it before, but just for review, chapter one, the theme would be Christ our life, chapter two, Christ our mind, chapter three, Christ the goal, and chapter four, Christ our strength. And there's verses, of course, that go along with that. And this, this whole book that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write actually points to Jesus Christ. You know, it's all about Jesus Christ and his life and what he was like and how Paul sought to emanate and follow that, have that emanate from his life. And I want to read this portion of Scripture, uh, and some of uh, what I'm reading we'll we'll get to today. Uh, But, you know, this is the real encapsulates really just the, the famous themes, if we could call them that, that Paul is known for in this chapter. And I'm going to start out at verse 7, and I'm going to read through verse 14. But what things were gained to me, chapter 3, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. About eight really powerful, powerful verses there that really encapsulate 
the message that Paul was, uh, you know, it's right in the center of the book that Paul was trying uh, so, you know, prayerfully to get across to Philippi, to the Philippi church and to us. Uh, let's look at these just real quickly. Count all things as loss. We talked about that last week. Let it all go. And he said, uh, you know, one of the other themes in the chapter we really hit on, furthermore, if nothing else, rejoice. Always rejoice in the Lord. Count it all loss. Let it all go and be rejoicing in the Lord. Number two, pursue knowing him. Pursue knowing him. Number three, forget the past and pursue the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Count it all loss, let it all go. Pursue knowing him, forget the past, and pursue the prize of the upward call. Such a beautiful message in those eight verses. I, I couldn't help but re be reminded this morning as I uh, prayerfully considered uh, what I would share with you today. I've also been in another class this week. I've started to teach the class of Psalms, something I've always wanted to do. I've studied it. I've, you know, preached from some of the chapters there. And we we're in Psalm 1 that says, um, but his delight, meaning the man of God's delight, is in the law of the Lord, verse 1. And in that law does he meditate day and night, verse 1 and 2. But his delight, in other words, what he's pursuing, just like Paul's talking about, that, that word in Hebrew, delight in Hebrew, means to pursue as in a veritable chase, to pursue uh, desperately like, like a lion chasing down its prey, uh, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, does it's interesting word meditate. One of the connotations is to, you know, roar over prey like a lion would do, to roar and to murmur over and over again what, what uh, you know, these things that you're learning, to, to enjoy them like, uh, the king of the beast, the lion, enjoys its prey. And that's what we're doing when we, we're studying these. Week by week, we're studying, breaking down uh, this meat, as it were, this food, as it were, uh, that God gives us every week. That's what I intend to do, that, that you might roar over that, that you might apply it to your life. You know, let your delight be in the law of the Lord and meditate on that. Meditate on what we share today. Uh, for the rest of the week. Uh, let's go on. Let's go on. We've read the passage, um, and we're going to break down now for you uh, the, the passage today, what we really want to, we want to start up in verse 8, and we want to go and, and finish at verse 12. You know, what I read to you and the, the things counted all loss, pursue knowing him, forget the past and pursue the prize. That's, uh, we kind of touch on that in three different um episodes last week, this week, and then we'll get into the final part of it, you know, the upward call and pursuing him next week. This week, we want to talk about what I've called passionate living, passionate living. And that's that's what that scripture I just shared in, in uh, Psalms 1 is about, passionate living, passionate pursuit. You know, <clears throat> let's go on. Yet indeed, I count all things lost, verse 8, Paul says, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. We count. We, we kind of touched on that last week, and we'll start there again. We'll break down verse 8 again. Yet indeed, or yea, doubtless, King James Version. In the construction of the Greek language, Paul is making a passionate statement 
a plea to the church at Philippi about the force and passion with which he was pursuing Christ as an example. He wanted to live that out before them so they could follow him in that pursuit, in that race. It reads, it reads like this in the original language, Yea, therefore, at least even Paul, you know, yea, therefore, at least even, that's what he's saying. Indeed, Paul wanted to leave no doubt as to what his number one pursuit in life was. That's passionate, isn't it? That's passion. Just like we talked about in, in uh, Psalm 1. Count, the same verb counted uh, as used in verse 7. Here it is the present tense showing continuous action in the present time. He's counting all things as loss. Uh, you know, all things is lost in the present time. It's a continuous thing he's doing. He's coming into things in life, whatever decisions he's making, whether like in our day and age, if you were going to buy a car or buy a house or do these different things, um, he counts that as loss in a way to know Christ. You know, uh, that's not the most important thing in his life. Paul had come to the steadfast conviction that any supposed gain in the world he might attain was but total loss. It wasn't, you know, this is the other way to look at it, if he did not gain Christ. You know, just like it says, you, you know, uh, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus said, you know, a man can gain the whole world. And, and what what does it mean? But if he's lost his soul, he's lost everything. What shall it profit a man if he gain the world but lose his soul, right? Uh, loss. Paul continually held a tenacious an habitual focus and mindset against anything, anything that might come. That's what I was talking about, buying the house, buying the car, between him and the goal of Christ. So he counts everything personally to himself as a loss, except coming to know Christ. Let's look at some cross-references. Acts 20, 24. I count my life of no value, Paul says, to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul was talking about, right? Let's go on to the next verse. The next point. Okay. Romans 8.18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. You know, the sufferings, the trials. Excellence or excellency of a higher, supreme, surpassing degree, you know, for the excellency. He wanted the higher, supreme, surpassing degree, right, for the excellency of the knowledge, that kind of degree of knowledge. I, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, speaks of the relationship that Paul developed with Jesus through intimate communion and companionship with him, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I count all things as lost for the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, he says. And he came to know Jesus in his heart, in his will, through his mind, through time spent in Jesus' presence in prayer, right? For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and his, him crucified, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Ephesians 1.17, my favorite prayer, my favorite passage here. I pray that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything required for life 
and godliness through what what's that through how do we get that divine power and godliness how do we get that through the knowledge of him who called us the knowledge of him by his glory and, and goodness first uh, John 520 and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one see he's given us understanding to really come into an experiential knowledge of him today that's what that's what it's saying here um, and then I read this one Matthew 1626 or I quoted it what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul <clears throat> here we are let's break this down a little further verse 8. It talks about here this one phrase, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. This loss of all things, this speaks of all Paul gave up at his Damascus conversion. Paul was brought up in what we would say was a closed community. He was from the town of Tarsus. Uh, he and his family were very wealthy, and only wealthy people could live there. It was like a private, rich people's community. Paul left a life of wealth and status in Tarsus, to become the Gentile missionary, the missionary, the chief missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, he made tents to get by because his parents no longer supported him. In fact, they disowned him because he turned away from being uh, of, of the Jewish faith, you could say. <clears throat> he had been supported by his folks, but no longer. Under the, uh, under, he had been supported by his folks, no longer when he was studying under Gamil at, at the University of Tarsus and as an up-and-coming priest, but that was no more. He was on his own now when he when he came to Christ. And that's what Christ will do. You know, he will divide families. We found that out. And he says in here that I may gain Christ in verse 8. Not Paul's salvation, but approach, appropriating. Let's say that again. Not that I may gain Christ, not Paul's salvation. It's not talking about gaining salvation. He already has that. But appropriating in his life the graces and nature of Christ, what he was desiring to do into his whole being, like we uh, a gain, cadeno, an acquisition made from shunning evil, made from turning away from uh, things that were, were not the main focus, right? Verse 9, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith. See, he was very familiar with the law. He was the Michael Jordan of the up-and-coming priests. He was going to be probably the next high priest. He knew the Talmud inside and out, those 600 uh, or so laws. And he was saying, I'm not going to be found in that the righteousness of that anymore, but only in, in that which is in, through faith in Christ, in Christ. The righteousness is from God by faith, not the law, not the Talmud, not the way I saw it before. Be found more like to, to turn out and actually be, to turn out actually to be, to be found. He was turning out to be uh, because he'd made that turn to Christ. The Greek expression here, Galatians 2.17, also says we ourselves are found to be sinners. The idea here is that of a revelation of character. That is, Paul longs to demonstrate in his life that he is in Christ and Christ is in him. He wants others to, to observe this in his nature. Not that he was such a, you know, star law keeper. Not having my own righteousness. He wanted to see Jesus exuding from his life. That's what Paul's goal was. The idea is not having a righteousness, any righteousness that could be on his own, like 
related to the Pharisaical laws, like we, we said he so, um, you know, pursued so in the past. Paul wanted to completely divorce himself of any thought or effort that he was a law keeper by his own efforts. He desired for men to see righteousness of a hidden life in Christ produced by the Spirit. That was the transformation Paul had, right? Okay, Romans 10, 2-6. Let's read this as a cross-reference. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. He's talking about the Jewish nation here. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's not the law, but it's Christ. Uh, the, the law was meant to point to Christ. Uh, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. In other words, he's talking about the righteousness of the law can only be fulfilled now um, by being immersed and coming into a life of Christ. For we conclude, Romans 3.28, Paul says, that man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What shall we say then? Romans 9.30. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness. Why? Because they obtained the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Okay, let's go on. Faith in Christ. That's another term in verse 9. Faith in Christ, that righteousness that is authored in Christ, not the law, which Paul now nourishes and maintains and pursues and uh, is passionate about. This faith is furnished to all believers who appropriate the blessings which flow from grace. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know the true one. See, there it is. God has given us this understanding. We are in the true one. That is, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal God and eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, not in the law, but in Christ, not in doing good things and not doing bad things, but in Christ, then he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Now we get to just one of his most powerful, powerful uh, scriptures when we think of Paul. Verse 10 and verse 11, that I may know him and the power of uh, the dunamis of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. We could start right there with those five words, that I may know him. Would you say that with me today? That I may know him. Let's say it again. That I may know him. That should be your main pursuit in life. Let everything fall by the wayside to that. That I may know him. That is to come to know by experience, not by the law, not by doing what's good or not doing, or doing, not doing what's bad, uh, even though that's part of it, but it, it comes that, uh, by experience, an experiential knowledge or knowing, a participation, right? 
Paul wants to come to a place of knowing Jesus in the fullness of experience that only comes by an intimate relationship with him, that is to know him. And we've talked before on this podcast, and it is Stalin, I looked it up, who as a young, young lad, eight, nine years old, went to Bible camp for a few summers and was the star of the Bible camp. Why? Because he had more of the Word of God memorized than any other student there. But think of what happened to him. You know, what happened to Stalin? You can think of that, you know, uh, what he turned out to be. He had it all in his head, but it didn't go six inches down to his heart, right? So it didn't have that transforming power. Just like the law, you know, you can't have transforming power with just the dead letter of the law. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I'm not just talking about in heaven. I used to preach that. Yeah, when we get to know to heaven, we're going to know him as he is, and that's true. But we can know him as he is today. Uh, when he shall appear, is he appearing for you daily? Is he appearing for you every day that you might get to know him better and better? That's what he's talking about. Let's talk about the phrase from verse 10, the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to experience the same dunamis power which raised Christ from the dead, surging and empowering it through, surging through his whole being and empowering him, overcoming all sin in his life, and showing forth the very nature of Christ for all to see. This power is the dunamis power, the power, the ability, physical or moral, as residing in a person. See, he wants to, God wants to come down and put that power of his spirit, of his person within you and reside in you that will enable you to act in a power and a force of action, strength, you know, passion, violence, we could say in a way, virtue, mighty power, miracle working power. In this context, a meaning is a power that overcomes resistance, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, uh, that I may know his, him and the power, the power, there's the key, of his resurrection. That's how I, uh, when I get to know him, I'm going to have that power exuding from me. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It is the dunamis to God for everyone who believes. That's where the power is, not through keeping 600 rules and laws. When you have that power in your life, you're automatically going to be able to fulfill the law. I'm telling you that. Ephesians 1.18 to 20, I love, this is my favorite verse. I pray the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope that, see, there's that word know again, the hope he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted, or the dunamis he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And I'm thinking now, another thought came to me in this verse here. I'm thinking there's a, a, um, a man that's a scientist, and he's also an adventurer. My wife and I watch his show quite a bit. It's very good. About He goes all over the world seeking out these different treasures, whether they're financial or art or whatever they be, secret treasures, and he's pursuing them. Because, uh, and so, I don't think he's ever really found the, anything. 
but the history and and the background of it is so interesting and he he will just put so much money and effort into pursuing that earthly treasure you know and 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 um and you know he has in his mind what that looks like and when we know the inheritance that's a treasure that god has for us how much more should we pursue that right um, Philippians 3, 20 to 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's go on to another phrase here, fellowship of his suffering. Let's, let's look at that, the fellowship of his suffering. This means that we get to fellowship in that. Ooh, doesn't, doesn't sound too appealing, does it? It's a joint participation. These refer to the sufferings of Christ. See, he wanted to experience that. Would have been the highest honor, I think, he could have received on this earth, right? To suffer for Christ, which he did. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 11, 22 to 33 for some notes on all the things he went through from being beaten to being shipwrecked to all kind of thing all kind of things you know that was Paul's resume these refer to the sufferings of Christ for righteousness sake while here on earth first uh, Colossians 1:24 I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking wow in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church Wow, that's quite a verse. I rejoice in my sufferings, and he's filling up uh, what is lacking in the, his afflictions for Christ. Can you imagine that? He's, he's seeking to come to the full in that area of, of the suffering and experiencing it. Not that the sufferings, I had a friend once that thought, you know, he had it all wrong when we were young Christians and thought, oh, if you, you know, he'd seek people to um, persecute him. You know, he'd go mock them about the gospel and want to be, uh, you know, them to, to strike back at him or persecute him and say, see, I'm suffering for Christ. But that's not what it's talking about, you know. It's not talking about the, the bless his heart, the uh, Catholic over in a foreign country that's, uh, you know, going through, uh, uh, going through the stations of the cross and crawling through grass, glass to get to, you know, the, the, the statue of Christ. That's not what the kind of suffering we're talking about. We're talking about real suffering that's brought on by a real life hidden in Christ that Paul and the other apostles experienced and that someday we may get the blessing of experiencing. But don't be afraid of that because if it comes to that, God will give you the grace to have and uh, experience the fellowship of his sufferings. The next phrase, being conformed to his death literally to bring to the same form with some other person you know being conformed to his death we're we're literally to be to bring to the same form with some other first person we already saw the greek word before in philippians five. we already saw before in philippians 2 5 to 8 in the great kenosis encounter and emptying out that's what that passage was about Philippians 2.6 talked about being in the form of God, or morphe. Here, 3.10, it's, it's a, a like phrase, being made conformable, being made in the form, being conformed. Symphorphizo, symphormizo, they're of the same root. So we're being brought to that same form, 
conformed to the death of Christ. <clears throat> Let's go on, and we'll just kind of sum summarize this here, some thoughts for you. When these four essentials, let's talk about this, are evident in our lives, then we will constantly be made conformable to Christ's death or being brought into that form. To show evidence by our very life, number one, to show evidence by our very life, we live to be in Christ. That's number one. To show evidence by our very life that we live to be in Christ. Number two, coming to know him better all the time. It's a constant thing. A consistent deepening of relationship with him. Number three, experiencing the same dunamis that raised Christ from the dead surging through our being. Number four, being joint participants in Christ's suffering for righteousness' sake. I thought these were good. How do we come become conformable to Christ's death? Uh, some of us, like I said, may someday be called to be martyrs physically for the faith. But he's talking about a death to self here. And that's made known by uh, the evidence by our very life to be in Christ. Our life exudes that, right? Two, that we know him better all the time. It's a daily pursuit like we've been talking about, a consistent deepening of the relationship with him. Number three, by having that same dunamis power that raised Christ from the dead surging and through us daily, right? And four, being joint participants in Christ's sufferings for righteousness' sake. Bottom line, Paul's desire was that he come to know his Lord Jesus so intimately and with such resurrection power or dunamis operating and exuding through his being along with a joint participation in Christ's sufferings that he would become both as to his inner heart and his outward expression of life just the same like Jesus in respect to Christ's death, not just physically, but as already shown, we talked about the kenosis experience, a death to self and a denial of all things selfish for the blessing of others. This is what Paul strove for. Paul was laying his life down in conformity and submission to the spirit and temperament of Christ's life in all manner and lowliness and meekness, both in life and eventually in physical death, correct? That's what he was doing. Let me read that again. It's a long, long paragraph, but this is what I penciled out here. Bottom line, Paul's desire was that he might come to know his Lord Jesus so intimately with such resurrection dunamis operating through his being, along with a joint participation in Christ's sufferings, that he then would become both as to his inner heart life and as to the way he lived outwardly, just the same like Jesus, as to Jesus in respect to Jesus' death. Not just physically, like, but like we've already shown, the other example we've taught on, uh, Philippians 2.7, uh, a death to self as shown in the kenosis experience of Philippians 2.7, a totally being poured out of yourself, a denial of self. For, the, for what? the blessing of others. This is what Paul strove for. Paul was laying down his life in conformity and submission to the spirit and temperament of Christ's life in all manner of lowliness and meekness, both in life and eventually in physical death. We talked a lot about that in chapter 2, did we not? Did we not? We talked a lot about that in chapter 2. 
Verses 10 and 11, we're still there. If by any means, that's the next phrase, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Now we're in verse 11. 11, if by any means. This is not an expression of doubt, but rather authentic humility. Paul shows, just like I read at the bottom line there, Paul's laying down his life in humility and shows a modest yet assured hope of attaining this, that I might attain or may attain. Greek language means to arrive, that I might arrive at the goal, you could say. Resurrection. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used, ex anastasis, ex anastasis, literally out of, means out of. The translation would go like this, that I might attain or arrive at the goal of an out-resurrection from among the dead. Paul may be referring to the future resurrection of the physical body when we all, um, you know, won the rapture, but also when people, there'll be a time when Christ returns where everybody's bodies, in a certain sense, will be resurrected. See 1 Corinthians 15, John 5, 29, Luke 20, 35. 1 Corinthians 15, John 5, 29, Luke 20, 35. However, he's more likely referring to, when he's talking about this ecstasis, this out of, resurrection out of, refers to spiritual resurrection, not just the physical one at the end of the age, but it refers to both, really. It, it, it applies to both. Ephesians 2, 4 to 8. But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, this is what we're talking about. This is the very picture of what I was just talking about made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He raised us up, ex anastasis, you could say, uh, out from among the dead, together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. This is a resurrection out from a state of sin. This is probably the this is, I believe, the main application here, where one is dead in their trespasses. It's out resurrection from sin to a life divinely empowered, dunamis power, and motivating our every action, uh, a, a, a life of passion. That's the that's the title that I've given this. We come from out from a dead life of sin to a life of passion in Christ. It can also refer to the rapture. Verse 12, not that I've already attained, am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Not that I've already attained. Let's look at that phrase. This is the conclusion. Here is Paul. The conclusion here is Paul has experienced to a measure a conformity to Christ's death. Um, we've already talked about that, uh, those four points that I gave you. Yet he has yet to appropriate, appropriate, that is to lay hold of, these to the fullest measure in his life. See, he's still not arrived yet. He's not come to that goal yet. As long as we're breathing a breath, I don't think we ever come to that goal fully, uh, these to their full measure. He's always looking to increase in these attributes. 
refer back to verse 10 to know him. That's He's on that pursuit to know him. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord and meditate him on him day and night. That's the same thing. Pursue is in a chase. I'm already perfected. Um, not that I've already attained. And then the next phrase, I'm already perfected. Either we're already perfect. Perfect is teleo, uh, literal, means to be complete, means to be completely spiritually mature. He's, he's not there yet. Paul is stating that he's still seeking spiritual growth and maturity. He has not stopped or become stagnant or indifferent, indifferent spiritually. And couldn't we preach a whole message on that? So much of our Christian lives, not maybe so much, but at times in our Christian lives, we grow stale and stagnant. Why? Because we've given up the pursuit. We've got, what do they say, the cares of the world have gotten in the way, right? But I press on or follow after, dioko, to pursue, like we talked about at the start, to delight, to pursue as in a chase. Paul has in mind the metaphor of a Greek runner Running in a race, he is pressing on. Remember how I've told you, I just love Paul. I think like he, like me, he would have been sitting with me the other day watching the Mariners, you know, because he was a sports fan. And so he uses these metaphors. He's pursuing to a Greek runner running in a race. He is pressing on to a fixed goal, keeping up the chase, as it were, with such passion, passionate living. You know, a racer, uh, somebody that's really a good racer, a good sprinter, they're not looking to the left and the right uh, at who, what somebody beside them is doing. They have like blinders on, and they're focused ahead on the prize, on the end goal. Rendering, here's a good rendering. Not that I've already, lambano is the Greek word, not that I'm already lambano or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold or apprehend, kata lambano, lay hold, lambano, kata lambano, that for which Christ Jesus has kata lambanoed me or laid hold of me, a forceful, passionate language, an intense pursuit, passionate, lambano, accept, take, receive, obtain, kata lambano, so just a, a heightened expression of that word lambano, Catalambano, more forceful, to seize, to run down. I don't know if you remember how, I don't, maybe it was a year or two ago, uh, if you ever saw the football game of the Seahawks, um, we were down toward, um, how was that? We were down toward the goal line uh, to scoring a touchdown on the, on the Cardinals, on the, on the uh, Arizona Cardinals. And unfortunately, our quarterback at the time, um, Russell Wilson threw an interception, and there was nobody in the way of the guy that intercepted the pass to running all the way back the opposite way to score a touchdown. Nobody was near him, and out of the blue, out of the just out of nowhere, streaked this one player. I don't know how many yards he was behind. Uh, this guy's name was Buda Baker that intercepted the pass. He was yards and yards behind DK Metcalf. And he ran the guy down and tackled him short of the goal line. He should have easily scored a touchdown. But because DK Metcalf acted with such, you know, catalambano, we could say, uh, such pursuit, such passionate pursuit, he saved a touchdown. And I think it, it had uh, made a difference in that game, you know. Uh, I think we eventually won, and that may – have saved the game for us. I, I'm trying to remember, but that's a very good picture of that. 
you know, what that means. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. I catalambano, that which Christ says catalambano me, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasps me. J.B. Phillips, good translation, grasping ever more firmly the purpose for which Christ grasps me. Are you doing that today? Are you pursuing more and more with more and more intense passion in your life every day? He can give you that if you pray about it today. He, he can put that in your life. Let's go on. Galatians 1.16. To reveal his son in me that I may preach him from him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. This is what Paul was apprehended or lay hold of for. In turn, he wants to apprehend Christ. Fight the good faith, fight of faith, he told Timothy. Take hold. Cada Lombano, or Lombano, eternal life. 2 Peter 1.5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and, and uh, goodness with knowledge. Psalm 63.1, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. Psalm 84.2, my heart and flesh cry out for God. Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteousness is like the light of dawn. See, shining brighter and brighter every day until midday. And then you could put Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Delight, pursue after um, the, in the law of the Lord that I, you know, and meditate on it day and night. Heart reflections, and we're gonna we're gonna end right here. Heart reflections, thought. Could it be that much of the church today, over the last fifty years, has been so busy showing the world how much we can do for Christ and do all these works? Remember, we talked a lot about Paul, and he was no longer gonna uh, he was no longer going to cling to his righteous works of the law that he knew so well. Could it be that much of the church today over the last 50 years has been so busy showing the world how much we can do for Christ, we've lost sight of how the New Testament church of Paul's day was just content to demonstrate to the world how much he could do through them. Why? Because they knew him. It wasn't about all the things they did. It was about knowing him, and then out of that came all the works of faith. List out all your positive attributes and gifts today. I'm, I'm encouraging you. This is a homework assignment. List all your positive attributes and gifts today. Then get alone with Abba and examine your heart to see if you're trusting your gifts uh, to your own power or his power. Think. This is another one. Uh, wait a minute. As a Christian today, you have Christ living in your heart. Have you taken the next step? to gain Christ fully, like we've been talking about, to fully come to know Him? Think. Knowing about Christ has value. Knowing about Him, knowing His Word, you know, it has value. Of course, Stalin showed it didn't have much value, right? Uh, just the head knowledge. Knowing about Christ has value, but knowing Him, knowing Him brings vitality, brings life. As ministers, we want and need three things. And every Christian, I've told you before, should be a minister. We want power, or we should want power. The power of the resurrection that eradicates all worry and despair, right? Think about John, you know, John eleven thirty nine. 39. 
um, where, um, in the epistle of John, where, where Christ brought Lazarus back from the dead, and his sisters Mary and Martha were so depressed and so downcast because uh, Jesus didn't get there in time, and their brother had died, right? And they said, he stinks. He's been in the grave three days. But Jesus' power brought him back. If you're in that state today where you feel like there's no hope, that it's all lost, that, that you know, it smells, it stinks, it's dying, whatever it is in your life uh, that God has called you to, he can bring you back with power. Compassion will come through sharing his sufferings. So we want three things, power, compassion will come through his, uh, his sufferings. Purity, that's the third thing, through conforming to his death, to accept the judgment and refuse to let dead things live any longer in our lives, right? Mm, okay, so that is the lesson for today. Passionate living, Philippians 3, 8 to 12. Please come back next week as we pursue on in this beautiful portion of Scripture and we talk about uh, the race further and forgetting your past. So God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of The Kingdom Corner.